Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Steve Knight. I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about property investment nightmares and how to fix them. So this is going to be a guide based on three real-life case studies that I've found on the Property Investors chat group. And the reason I want to go through these three case studies is to show you some of the tough things that people go through in investment property, because bad things do happen. But if you understand what can go wrong, you'll know what to do when things do go wrong. So Andrew, walk us through the first case study that we found. Okay, so the first post was from Brendan, and he basically said, we've moved to Queenstown from Auckland, rented out our property in Auckland, and we're bleeding cash as the rental market's taken a bit of a hit, and the rent is far from covering the mortgage and the increased rates. Now we're trying to sell the property and nothing's happening. What should we do now? So basically, the summary, he's got a property in Auckland that was his owner-occupied that now he's renting out. But now that he's in Queenstown, the cash flow's hurting him because the rent's nowhere near enough to cover the costs of running that property. And, and I'm sure he's not factoring in tax into account for that yet either, assuming that his property wasn't new and, and therefore tax deductible. And this is really common today, people being stung by cash flow, especially with increasing interest rates. And having negative cash flow is completely normal nowadays. But the issue is that the cash flow is going to really hurt him and then he's going to get a tax bill probably at the end of the financial year. So it's much worse than what he's comfortable with. Absolutely. And on top of that, he's struggling to sell that property. Now, how bad is the cash flow on this property? Well, his current mortgage is five and a half grand a month, while rent is only about 3200 So before he pays the rates, the insurance, the maintenance, and then tax, he's already negative about $500 a week. So the first thing that this investor needs to do is actually understand the numbers fully. So he needs to run a cash flow analysis. Now, we don't know his exact numbers, but once you include rates, insurance, property management, it's probably another $250 a week. So he's probably going to have to top up this property by $750 a week and then pay tax. Okay, so what should he actually do with this property? Well, I think selling's the right thing. But right now, change that mortgage from principal and interest to interest only. And the reason I say from principal and interest is most owner-occupied properties are on P&I, and I'm assuming that this investor has his mortgage on principal and interest because they've just kept the mortgage in place as it is. And again, we don't know the exact numbers, but let's say that they have 725000 being paid off over 20 years. If they change it from the principal and interest payments, standard principal and interest, to interest only, that's going to reduce his contributions down to $400 a week from $750. Yeah, it's going to save about $350 a week. This is based on taking a decent-sized mortgage at a term that would equate to that mortgage payment that he's talked about. I guess the real question is, well, what can people listening to this show, Andrew, do to avoid that same situation? Or or number one, don't turn your owner occupied into a rental property. It's such a bad idea most of the time. Very infrequently do I see a time where it makes sense. And actually, I was talking to an investor who's working with one of our other property partners who's struggling to settle an investment property because they've done exactly the same thing. They've moved from Auckland to Wanaka. Now they've got two big mortgages. And the rental property in Auckland just does not make sense. So I think that don't go with the mindset that, hey, I'm going to rent this out and I might move back into it. That was their mentality. And talk to a mortgage advisor about restructuring that mortgage so it is interest only. But I think the most important thing is run a cash flow analysis 
before you turn your home into a rental property. So I want to take you to another case study, and this is probably going to ring true, or some people listening to the show are going to think, oh my gosh, that's potentially me. This is a guy called Avishek, and he has put two townhouses under contract. So these are brand new properties. This was a year and a half ago, bought two off the plan in Wellington. Now, What's happened here is the housing market's changed, interest rates are up, and banks have changed their servicing criteria. And now the bank is unwilling to give Avishek the money for both properties. So he's saying, well, what can I possibly do? And look, here's the issue that you sometimes get with new builds is you sign the contract to buy it, but the build might take 18 months and your bank's pre-approval only lasts maybe three to 12 months. So Often you will commit to buying the property, go unconditional, but without finance in place. Now, that's one of the risks that comes with some of the benefits of buying a new build. Now, here's what he says. He says, I've got three options as he sees it. One is to sell one of those townhouses at a loss, but still be able to settle one of those townhouses. The second is to lose his 10% deposit. So just go to the developer, say, I can't settle, keep my 10% deposit. And the other one is to try and go to non-bank lenders or an alternative lender. And he says, which one should I go for? Now, the first two ones, I think, aren't a goer. Really difficult. So the first option, Andrew says, is sell one property loss to try and get another one. But with settlement fast approaching, he's going to have to sell it before he's bought it. And that comes with a whole heap of issues because who's going to sell it for you when it's not built? Probably a real estate agent. That's typically not what they specialize in. The second issue you have is that there are a ton of new builds on the market at the moment, about 6,500 new builds on the market, which is about 20% of the properties that are currently on TradeMe. And on top of that, developers are cutting their price, trying to be really competitive. But the biggest issue that we see is one about whether he can sell that property or not. Why might that be the case, Andrew? Well, one of the big things that happens when a developer is doing stage releases, they might be holding on to the last couple of units to sell at a higher price, and they don't want to be competing with their own properties on the market. So there's probably a clause in his contract that says he can't sell his property until he settled it, or even in some cases, three to six months afterwards. So it'd be really important to check, is that even an option? Now, the second thing about losing his deposit, the reason I find this difficult is if he says, look, I can't settle, tries to walk away. Let's say he put down a 10% deposit on a half million dollar property. And to be honest, it's probably more expensive than that. You're probably talking about losing $50,000. But no, you can't just walk away from the contract. If then the developer sells it at $400,000, they can go in for the additional 50K plus any costs associated with reselling it. Yeah, so they can come after you because. I've lost money. You signed this contract. You had to settle. So I do think the best option is to go to a non-bank lender and try to settle this. Now, your mortgage advisor should look at a range of lenders anyway, but it's really important to note that not every mortgage broker has relationships with every single bank. And you can find this out. You just go onto their website. There'll be something that says important information or disclosure, something along those lines, maybe legal information, and they will have listed all of the lenders they work with. So, for example, if you were to go onto New Zealand Home Loans website at the moment, you'd see that they only work with three banks. Now, the difficulty is, if you say, I'm really struggling to get the money for this property, if each of those three lenders says no to you, well, you could be in a difficult situation. Whereas if I saw there was a mortgage broker someone recommended to me the other day, she was based in New Plymouth, and you go on her website, 
she's got relationships with five banks, which I think were the main four plus co-op bank. Oh, yeah. Now, the difficulty there, no non-bank lenders. Ah. So some other brokers, it doesn't mean they're bad mortgage brokers. No, no, brokers. no, not at all. I'm just trying to help you guys listening to the show understand how can I work with a mortgage advisor that's going to look at a range of lenders. One way to figure that out is looking at the lenders they work with and making sure there are some non-banks on there. Some other brokers I know work with 30-plus lenders. So I think the main thing is to try and find a mortgage broker who works with non-bank lenders. But I also don't know what Avishik is struggling with. Is it the deposit side or the income side of his application? If it was deposit side, you might actually go for TSB because they don't require you to get a valuation on a new build if you've bought through a real estate agent. So if those values on those townhouses have gone down, you might go to someone like TSB. In fact, I'm doing that right now for the same reason. If it's income side, then you might go to a ResiMac or a Liberty Finance. They could be a good option because their income criteria isn't strict or isn't as strict. But for you guys listening to the show, how do you avoid this situation? First of all, get your pre-approval from your bank as early as possible when buying a new build. Now, most banks will do 12 months in advance of the settlement, but Westpac goes up to 24 months. I think the other thing you could do is make sure that you get your 20% deposit approved right at the start. Absolutely. So not just, just a, explain this. So a lot of brokers might just structure the 10% because that's all you need right now. Now, it's really important that you have access to the other 10% that you're going to require to settle the property, even if it's just in a revolving credit facility so you can draw that down later on. The reason that this is so important is because you can go and get the 80% loan somewhere else, even if your house went down in value as one of my investors that was in Papamoa has discovered, they've got the approval in place for their deposit, even though it's higher LVR than what the bank would approve today. That's correct. So when you put a property under contract, you need to pay a 10% deposit straight away. Then you're going to need another 10% when it comes to settling the property, getting the 20% get set up straight away is very important. And walk us through that last case study, Andrew. Oh, this was an interesting one. The property started leaking from the day I brought it. This guy brought a property, he was given a building report from the person selling the house, the vendor, moved in and discovered leaks. Now, question for you, can he go back to the building inspector and say, well, you missed this on your report, mate? Well, the answer is no. And the reason is because it's not his building report. The building inspector was engaged by someone else, the original vendor. So the vendor has got recourse potentially, depending on what disclaimers are in there, but not the person that purchased the property and now has used someone else's report. It's not addressed to them. They've got no liability whatsoever that they can claim against that inspector. So what can he do then? Well, they could potentially argue that the vendor, the person that sold the property, didn't disclose the known issue. Now, there was a really interesting point in, in his post that said, further investigations came to notice that a few roof tiles had been broken and that the top jibs had been rotten. But this is the main point. I have also seen an ice cream box kept on the top of the roof to accumulate the water from previous leaks. So obviously within the ceiling cavity, there's been this ice cream container that's filling up with water. So you could argue that the vendor knew about this issue and it wasn't disclosed. But here's the problem. How do you prove that? How do you prove that they put it there and that they knew about this issue and that it wasn't, you know, oh, we just had a little bit of a leak one time? it can become really, really tricky to claim under vendor warranties, but you could potentially do that if you could prove that they knew about that. And I suppose the main thing is for anybody listening to the show, what can you do to avoid that same situation? Always get your own building inspection report. 
or contact the building inspection company and pay for them to issue the report in your name. That way, there is some liability that you can claim against them if something's been missed. And also, if you're buying an existing property, you need to understand that there is going to be some risks of leaks in the roof. And I think it's really important to go through, again, some of the property investment nightmares, the bad stuff, so you can understand what you need to do to avoid those as well. And if you want some helping hands avoiding some mistakes, one other thing you can do is working with a property investment company like us here at Opus. Now, if you want to learn more about what we do, how that works, just go to our website, opuspartners.co.nz. I'll also drop a link in the show notes, tap or swipe over the cover art, links are there. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of your property market. Until next time, 